that you'd come to rope in the sky That you'd come down, that you'd come down Oh, that the mountains would crumble inside That you'd come down, that you'd come down As fire burns away all the lies Won't you come down, won't you come down Your fire brings our souls alive Jesus, come down Jesus, come down, Jesus, come down. We have come to meet with you, to follow and love, to take hold of you. We have come here to worship you, to honor and know, to bow before you. But Jesus, come down, Jesus, come down. Jesus come down But Jesus come down Jesus come down Jesus come down You are a father and we are the clay Won't you come down Won't you come down You are the potter so mold us today Won't you come down as fire burns away all the lies Won't you come down, won't you come down Your fire brings our souls alive Jesus come down, Jesus come down Jesus come down We have come to meet with you Today we are continuing uh, in our series on Romans, and today we are going to be looking at Paul's verdict, the verdict that he is going to lay out before us is to prepare us for how good the good news is. I want to just begin with a quote from G.K. Chesterton. 
He said that the fall is the only encouraging view of life. It holds that we have misused a good world and not merely been entrapped into a bad one. I think that is a really important uh, quote for a time like this because it can be, begin to feel like, you no, know, the world is what is fundamentally wrong and we are trapped in this bad world. But a right understanding of sin, a right understanding of the doctrine of sin uh, and the doctrine of the fall actually helps us understand that God's world was created good, that we were made in his image, but that sin has entered in and brought absolute disarray and destruction and ultimately death to everything. This is why Paul will say later in Romans that the whole world, the whole cosmos groans uh, for its redemption. And Paul has been unraveling all the unpleasantries of human existence. I mean, there has been no stone that he has left unturned. I mean, when you think about it, I like how John Stott says that he exposes in succession the blatant unrighteousness of much of the ancient Gentile world, which we saw was actually very much like our world, the hypocritical righteousness of the moralizers uh, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Last week we considered that, that confident self-righteousness of the Jewish people, uh, and whose anomaly is it that they boast of God's law but still unfortunately break it. So now he arraigns and condemns, as John Stott puts it, the entire race. And the diagnosis is where he begins and where we will begin in verse 9. And this is what he says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. Notice what the diagnosis is. All are under sin. And as I have often said, all means all, and that is all that all means. Now, here's the interesting thing. If we, you remember last week, Paul actually declares the benefits of the Jewish people, but then here he says, what then are we, that is Jews, better than they? Not at all. Is he contradicting himself? No, what he was pointing out before is that the Jews had unique privileges as God's covenantal people. They were real privileges. But here what he is declaring is that they have not maintained a fidelity to those privileges and they, due to their own sinful nature, understanding the law, have again and again violated the law. So Paul puts everyone now on the same playing field. All are under sin. Uh, now this is something that we need to understand uh, if we are going to have a right understanding of the gospel. What is the purpose of having a savior if we don't recognize that we need to be saved. And I think it's also important to understand the consequences of sin. We're told that, that God's wrath is being poured out on the world uh, because of the wickedness and the unrighteousness and the ungodliness in, 
in humanity as it suppresses the truth of who God is. The fact that we are made in the image of God, but that image has been so perverted and twisted that even when we attempt to do good things, we become self-righteous even in our, in our attempts at morality. We become, we become flawed in our attempts at religion. It doesn't matter if we're a hedonistic pagan or some moralistic philosopher or the most religious person that's ever lived. Sin has a way of perverting all of it and keeping us from reaching God in our own effort. And this is why the gospel is good news, because it shows us that we are not capable of saving ourselves. There is no ladder that we can climb to reach God. A man's attempt to build a tower to reach the heavens uh, proved futile, and all it proved and all it brought forth was confusion confusion and disarray. So in Galatians chapter 3 verse 22, Paul once again, just as he's doing here in Romans, is establishing why it is that we need a savior, that, that the scripture has confined all under sin. Notice it's, he places this under sin, that there is this weight upon us. Not only a weight that keeps us stuck, sin is like gravity that pulls us to the ground, but, but even beyond that, he, he places it as something that's a barrier upon us that keeps us from reaching God who is above all that is. And that's speaking of his sovereignty, his lordship. But isn't the beauty of the gospel is, it, is that the gospel is down to earth. It's about a God who comes to us, who meets us, and this is why we need to look and, and take into consideration the heaviness of sin. So what is it that Paul is establishing by saying this statement, that all are confined under sin, that we have, as he says, for we have previously charged both Jew and Greeks. Notice there is no barriers any longer. Uh, that wall of separation has been torn down because everyone has a problem. We are confined under sin. And what Paul is going to establish for us is that those who are Christless are under the control of sin. Now, I think it's so, so important to again and again remind us that sin is not so much a disease, but it is a red-handed rebellion against the domination of the Creator. God's sovereignty it has less to do with morality or immorality and more to do with an emphatic independence from God. I think that the most simple way of defining sin is us putting ourselves where only God deserves to be. This is why the simple way of describing the gospel is that God placed himself where we deserve to be, uh, which is under judgment. And I think that devotion to self, if I am devoted to what is best for me, this is the natural outworking of sin. It's that inward turn towards self and self-sufficiency. And I, I think that when we really examine ourselves, this is why I also like to say that, yes, those who um, are Christless are under the control of sin. Well, what about us who have put our trust in Christ and have become new creation. It says that anyone um, who is in Christ, all things are new. They are a new creation. But that doesn't mean that the sin nature doesn't continually rear its ugly head. It's just that sin has lost its control. We have been taken from the dominion of death and darkness and the dominion of demonic 
realities uh, and we have been brought into the kingdom of light. The ability to live according to that light is dependent upon our daily dependence upon Jesus. But we find even as those who are dependent upon Jesus that I can't even make it an hour without a continual violation of some aspect of his perfect and holy law. That's why I need the lawgiver to live the law in such a way that Jesus himself has become the end of the law. So the problem has to do more with what we are than what we do. This is Paul's point. And here he moves in to the proof. It's in character, it's in word, and in conduct. And now he's going to use Old Testament scripture to uh, reveal how much sin has permeated every arena of human existence. First of all, in character, uh, there is ignorance. It says he, he uses the psalm to say, there is none who understands. Man's desires are limited by his perceptions. None can desire what he has not perceived. That is a quote from William Blake, uh, the poet and painter and mystic. Uh, but I think that this is the problem, is that ignorance is not innocence. This is why Jesus declared from the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, saying that I want to forgive uh, humanity for its sin but we can't forgive something that hasn't first been worthy of being forgiven. In other words, he wants to, the heart is to forgive, but there is things to be forgiven. We have violated our relationship with God. We have violated his law and we are under judgment. And this is why the gospel is such good news that God has come into that judgment, that Jesus on the cross is both the judge and the judged in our place. When it says that there is none who understands, this is man's ignorance, but humanity's ignorance is never innocent. Secondly, he says there is none who seeks after God. That, that is not only is there ignorance, but there's indifference. The gospel is all about divine initiative that when I was lost in my sin, uh, lost from relationship with God, I wasn't only ignorant, but I was indifferent to the gospel. I liked sin because sin is fun. I liked to do the things that I ought not to do. Even though I paid the consequences of my actions, I was driven by the allure of the momentary pleasure or escape or whatever it was that I was trying to do. The fact is, is that sin though always has diminishing returns. But here, Paul using the Psalms brilliantly to explore this reality that humanity is ignorant, they are indifferent, and then he says in verse 12, they have all turned aside. There is a crookedness. Remember what I said that the law does? is a, It's a plumb line from heaven that reveals that the wall is not straight. There is a bent in the human condition that as we, and we see it when children, were, which are in, in scripture, infants are called the innocents, but it doesn't take much time in the human condition before we see that bent toward doing things that we ought not to do. There is also a uselessness uh, that often comes uh, with the sinful reality. And this is why the psalmist goes on to say, not only have they turned aside, they have 
together become unprofitable. And that is that there is an, inca an incapability of fully doing the good that we want to do. We feel our, our own limitations. We even see the effects of it that for every advance we make, to improve the world and humanity, there are unseen consequences to it. I mean, look at the internet. I mean, it is, it's not the thing that is itself bad, but the human condition has the ability to take everything and pervert even the best things uh, and become unprofitable. Uh, and so everything, this is why Jesus says that unless you abide in me, he will bear no fruit. He says, you can do nothing without me, which means that everything we do without Jesus is nothing when it comes to that of eternal consequence. Um, and then he goes on to quote the psalmist, there is none who does good, no, not one. Remember what Jesus even said to the young rich ruler, why do you call me good? There is none who is good but God. And what is he saying to that young rich ruler? You are not good and I am God. There is none who does good. Sin is not a part of human nature as God designed it. Let us not call it original sin as much as an invasion into the original good. Uh, and then he goes on, not only to show that, that sin has infiltrated our character, making us ignorant, indifferent, crooked, useless, not good, he says that it plays itself out, quoting from, continuing from the psalm, in word. Uh, he says that their throat is an open tomb. That is, that there is a destructive reality to the things that we say. Think about the pain that is caused with words. As a man who has, unfortunately, the gift of monologue, there are so many things that I have said in my life where I have, you know, the moment it leaves the mouth, you're just like, oh. I wish I could take that back. Not only are our words destructive, but they're often deceptive. Uh, and I think that this is where Jesus even said, he goes, listen, you, your father is the devil. He was a liar from the beginning. And this is what the psalmist says, with their tongues they have practiced deceit. Those little white lies, the way we erect facades, the way we claim to feel one way when we actually feel another. We think all this deceit is harmless and unnoticed, but it's all a part of the destruction that flows out of the reality that sin is what we are. Our words aren't only destructive and deceptive, but they're often, uh, they often bring great injury, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Uh, Psalm 52, 4 says, you love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. I think that this is one of the ways that Paul is trying to show, like, listen, your character is impacted by this. Your words are impacted by this. Your conduct is impacted by this. And he moves in, in verse 15, he says, their feet are swift to shed blood. There is violence. We live in a violent world. Violence is all around us. And remember, Jesus takes the violent acts straight to the heart in the Sermon on the Mount when he says that whoever, uh, whoever is angry with his brother, his sister, her sister, without cause, has committed murder in their hearts. We are a violent people. Broken, uh, destruction and misery are in their ways. That the things that we touch, I think that that... Um, uh, that 
powerful song by Nine Inch Nails that Johnny Cash uh, covered um, called Hurt. And he, he talks about uh, his empire of dirt, that everything he touches uh, turns to pain. And I think that we see that. I think that it's one of the reasons that so much of our literature and uh, it's, it's fascinating that like in order to be in the modern library, uh, 100 greatest novels, what I discovered is that it can't have a happy ending. <laughs> I don't know what makes great literature that it has to be always a tragedy. Even if it's a comedy, it has to have a tragic component to it. One of my favorite novels, is my favorite novel in the last 30 years, Infinite Jest. That was David Foster Wallace's entire intent was that he wanted to capture what he called a peculiar American loneliness, a brokenness uh, that infiltrates every arena of life and it is not, and, and, it, and it seems to infiltrate every race, it seems to infiltrate every economic uh, stratosphere. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, white or black. It doesn't matter what part of the world you live in. There is a brokenness that has led to loneliness and despair. And this is why people are desperately needing to know that there is a God who loves them. The fall is the answer for the pain that we are experiencing. Sin has infiltrated our world. And this is what should give us mercy when we deal with people that are difficult because we are difficult people. I cannot actually be cruel to someone who is difficult because I am probably the biggest pain in the butt I've ever met. Uh, and I always say that we are our own worst enemies. I, Eugene Peterson has said, if we would remember that people are sinners, we wouldn't be surprised when they sin. Having a right understanding of sin is actually what gives us compassion and mercy for people because they are enslaved, entrenched. Our will is not nearly as free as we think it is. Uh, and there is a restlessness in verse 17. In the way of peace they have not known. Isn't that one of the great markers of our current age? There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. That is all of us. We are a restless people uh, who desperately long to find peace, long to find the shalom that Jesus offers. Come to me, all you are weary, and I will give you rest. And then he goes on to say, this is the cause of this horrible character, horrible words, horrible conduct. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Verse 18, there is a blatant disregard for God. And this is why I say the root of sin is a rejection of God's rule over our lives, a rejection of his grace, a desire to make ourselves God. It is a blatant disregard for God, for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And this is why we as humanity are fools, foolish in our endeavors to try to be our own gods. When we reject God, we lose everything. And here now, Paul, brings us to the application of this particular section. In verses 19 and 20, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin, what is Paul saying? 
if the law can't save us, I mean, the immediate question that would, that would rise up in the listeners of those familiar with the law is why did God give it? God did not send the law to destroy us. I think that's very important. He sent the law to keep us from a false hope, I believe, is one aspect of it, to give us parameters. The law was given to create parameters by which the Jewish people could enter into that covenantal relationship with the living God. But sin created a bunch of law breakers. And what does God do? And it's what I always say, that God is not responsible for sin, but what he has the ability to do is to weave the dissonant notes of human existence into his redemptive purposes. So what does law, the law do then? It becomes a revealer of our sin, which should cause us to cast ourselves in greater dependence upon him. I don't know about you, but the first time I read the Sermon on the Mount before I came to faith, I was not excited by those teachings. There was something that was so profound about it. I knew it was truth. I knew it was the ideal, but I also knew it was absolutely impossible. This is why I rejected Tolstoy's uh, attempt to apply the Sermon on the Mount as the most perfect expression of, of uh of what humanity should live like, but what he tried to do is eradicate the supernatural components that actually are necessary to actually even live uh, in the truth of what the Sermon on the Mount is about, because we can't live out the Sermon on the Mount unless Christ is living in us, and even then, it's a mixed bag. This is why Jesus is the end of the life. I didn't, I didn't come to destroy it, I came to fulfill it. This is why Jesus is both the fulfillment of the law and also the fulfillment of God's covenantal promise, um, promise to Israel. He is the true Israel and the fulfiller of the law and the way maker. He is the way, the one who has given us access to the God who has always been pursuing sinful and broken humanity. When we see the truth of what we are, you guys, when we understand we are broken, it's then that we can begin to see that we need help. It's then that we can actually finally shut up and stop arguing. There is nothing to argue. We can't argue our way out of the hells that we've created ourselves for. What we need is someone to lift us out of it. It reveals our guilt before God, and it teaches us what sin is. This is what the purpose of the law is. When we are confronted with the law, it is an immovable wall that crushes us, and this is why we need help, but this is the power of the gospel. It's what Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 said. Therefore, the law was our tutor, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified not by our attempts to keep a law that we can't keep, but that we would be justified by faith. This passage, you guys, is not meant to create despair, but to unveil hope. We must believe that humanity is bad, but never so bad that it cannot be saved. No diagnosis is given without a solution. And Jesus is the solution. John Stott, in his beautiful book, On the Cross of Christ, said that the essence of sin is we human beings substituting ourselves for God 
while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for us. We put ourselves where only God deserves to be. God put himself where we deserve to be. Uh, I think that that is, that is a, a really beautiful uh, explanation of the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. But I think that there's even more robust things that we can say about that. Because if we think, as we're going to get deeper into it, that sin entered the world through one man, Adam, who is, is the, the first man and what scripture declares. And this isn't, I'm not trying to make a scientific uh, statement about origins in science. I'm making a theological statement. And that is that, that through our ancestors, sin entered the world, but what we're told of Jesus, this is a, a theological idea uh, that's called recap uh, recapitulation. It's the belief that Jesus is the one for the many and the many and the one. He is the new Adam. He has opened up the possibility of a new humanity. And this is something that's really integral to an understanding of the cross is that on the cross, uh, he takes the sin of the first Adam into himself and paves the way for a new creation. Uh, he is the one for the many and the many in the one. This is why it says that God is reconciling all things to himself through Jesus. But there is also the substitutionary component of the cross, that penal substitution, which is a crucial part of understanding the gospel as well, which is that Jesus is the sin bearer. He is both the judge and the judged in our behalf. He takes the judgment we deserve into himself. That sin isn't just something that separates us from God, it actually makes us uh, worthy of God's wrath and judgment. But Jesus takes that judgment into himself so that God can be just in his desire to forgive. Forgiveness becomes ours because someone has paid the price for the crimes that we have committed. And not only that, but Jesus is also victor. He is the conqueror on the cross. He conquers sin and the dominions of darkness and the devil. And he is the one who is the only one who by the presence of his Holy Spirit can create in us a new reality by which we can live in the power of the Spirit, demonstrating to the world this Jesus who has come to set us free from the sin that has bound this creation. And we believe in the hope that there is a day coming when Jesus, who is already victor, will fully establish his kingdom in the new heavens, in a new earth, in which we will live in an existence without sin. This is the hope of the gospel, and this is why the scripture says, repent and believe. Turn from being your own God and put your trust in the one who died for you, who conquered sin, and three days later rose from the grave because death could not keep him, has ascended to the right hand of the Father and sends his spirit to every person who trusts in him. This is the good news. This is the gospel. We have to understand the bad news to see how good the good news is. We are sinners, but we are saved by grace, and this makes us saints. Jesus loves you. On your worst day, he's crazy about you. He has paid the price. Put your trust in him, for the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin.
all are under sin, but all sin can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. This is the beauty of the gospel. Love you guys so much. May you walk in this crazy time, in this sinful world, sinful bodies, <laughs> sinful reality, in the power of the one who conquered sin. Jesus has not forgotten this. He has not been taken by surprise by the coronavirus. In fact, I believe that he is once again weaving the dissonance of a sinful creation into his redemptive story. May we be a part of that redemption and may we be advocates of that hope and live with that confidence. This is the gospel. tried in great detail to earn your love but always failed to find you the love that I had tried to earn was a gift that I soon learned was yours to give so I lay myself down in your grace I now am bound inside you covered by your love covered by your blood covered by your righteousness covered by your love covered by your blood That I'm found, I will stay Your love that carries me each day And surrounds me Lord, all I want to say Is I look forward to the day I can see your face So I lay myself down in your rest I now am found Inside you Covered by your love Covered by your blood Covered by your righteousness I'm Covered by your 